All right, so in your um, Baptist Faith and Message book, everybody got a copy? Okay. Um, we're in chapter 11, uh, and that is page 101. Uh, chapter 11, page 101, and we're talking about the Lord's Day. Um, so this is the eighth article in the Baptist Faith and Message, so we are moving right along. Um, <clears throat> and what we're going to do is we're going to read the, the article. Um, there's just a few things that we have to talk about when we start talking about worshiping on Sunday and then what worship's going to look like, so we'll talk about that a little bit. All right, so uh, Article 8, the Lord's Day. It says, the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's just start and go ahead and tackle the Lord's Day Sunday, the Sabbath is Saturday. Why? So let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so first of all, we know that, the God, that, that God gave the Ten Commandments, uh, and one of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, the Sabbath was uh, celebrated by the Jews. It was a, uh, or not celebrated, it was observed by the Jews. Um, it was a day of rest for them. And on that day, they were to remember God and to remember the creation that he had made. Uh, and and they, they were to take that time basically to themselves, to their families, to, to, to rest. Um, it wasn't a day that they went all around. It wasn't a day that they um, even necessarily walked up to the temple and, and had sacrifices. It was a day of observance, of remembering uh, God and the God of creation. So why do we, if God told us to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, uh, why do we worship and have our church services on Sunday instead of Saturday? Um, it's not a trick of the calendar. Sabbath really is Saturday, and we have church really on Sunday. It's not some trick of the calendar, the lunar calendar, vice versa. It has to do with Jesus. Like everything else, um, Jesus changed that for us. Uh, it is now different than it had ever been because of what he did. Okay, so... We know that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Uh, we know that he was laid in a tomb that Friday, was in the tomb on the Sabbath. And the reason we know this for a fact is because of the, the Jews' desire to make sure Jesus was dead before sundown. And so they went to um, the, the Roman officials and said, we need to make sure because we've got the Holy Sabbath, the Lord's Day coming up, and so we've got to make sure that he, these, these men are off the cross. And so the practice was they were going to go and they were going to break the legs of the men that were being crucified that day so that they would go ahead and, and suffocate so that they would die. Um, they did that for the two thieves, but when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. This was verified by the spear being uh, to piercing his side so that they knew for a fact he was dead. 
So then Jesus was laid in the tomb, uh, and they rushed to prepare the body, but they didn't have time to do everything they wanted to do before the, the sun was down. Well, once sun was down, it's the Sabbath. And so the people had to rest. They had to wait from sun down on what we would call Friday afternoon to sundown on what we would call Saturday afternoon. That constituted the Sabbath. So there is evening and there is morning. And that was the way that they understood a day. And so when sun went down um, on, a, uh, on the Sabbath while Jesus was in the tomb, the ladies couldn't come to the tomb it was dark. They didn't have flashlights or things like that back then, so certainly they waited until the morning. So the morning of what we would call Sunday, that next morning, that's when the ladies went to the tomb, and they were going to finish the preparations of the body of Jesus, but he had left the tomb. They met angels. The different Gospels tell us a little bit difference of stories, but basically they met angels. The angel said, you're looking for the living among the dead. He's not here. He is risen. There's some back and forth about them telling the Gospels. I mean, the, the, not the Gospels, the disciples. The disciples come and verify. And sure enough, Jesus has been resurrected. And we have on very good authority that from that point on, the church worshipped on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. And it's the Lord's Day because it's the day that the Lord was resurrected. So that had been the regular practice of the church even during what we would call the New Testament days. So it, the, the, the church of Acts would have worshipped on Sunday rather than on Saturday, and that's a tradition that has been kept up all this time. And so that's why we worship on Sunday rather than on Saturday. Um, we'll, we'll, I'm going to circle back to that at the very end uh, a little bit because of a statement at the very end of uh, Article 8, but that at least gets us started. Does anyone have any questions about Sabbath versus Sunday? Okay, all right, so let's keep going. So it says it is a Christian institution for regular observance. And obviously there's scripture that tells us not to forsake the regular assembling of ourselves together, as is the custom of some. And so a weekly gathering to worship, and, and we'll kind of break down what that means and, and, and what that looks like in just a moment, but a weekly gathering for worship is prescribed by the Bible. It's something that we are supposed to do, and it is something that we are supposed to come together and do. Um, I've heard people say, and, and, and they're not wrong when people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go to church to go to heaven, okay? But if you are going to be an active, functioning Christian, developing in your spiritual life, you're going to need to be at church because that's part of God's plan for every Christian's spiritual development. Okay, and so what that means is that there is some part of our spiritual lives that is going to develop its best when we are in church. Now, does that mean that God will not grow us and will not help us if we are unable to go to church? No, not at all. But if it is a possibility for us to be at church, to, to worship corporately, uh, to pray together, to have that fellowship and that community that we need to grow... If it's possible to do that, we must do that. There are occasions where people can't worship. Whether they're going through a sickness and they can't physically come to church, whether there's some circumstance of life that, that actively keeps them away from church, there are things like that. 
And in those cases, I'm, God is going to work in their lives and, and in a personal spiritual life way, he's going to build them up. But we have to understand that when it is possible, we need to gather together and we need to have that community. That's why the, th- the events of 2020, especially once we understood that, that what COVID was and how it spread and how we could still safely meet, that's why it was so important for people to get back together. Um, we have, on, on certain occasions, we have postponed our services for health reasons, and that is okay. God gave us brains, we should use them. We should do common sense things when we need to do common sense things. But if there's not some reason to withhold ourselves from church, we should be there. We should have a part of worship on that particular day. Okay, so it is an institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So if we are commemorating, and I would even like for them to have the word celebrate in there, if we're commemorating and celebrating Christ's resurrection from the dead, we know that that is the linchpin of our salvation, right? Because that's what makes it eternal. That's what gives it its forward look, right? So Jesus died. He was a sacrifice, so he paid for our sins. Uh, But until Jesus is resurrected from the dead, Paul says if Christ is not resurrected from the dead, then we are most of all to be pitied because that is our eternal life. That is the promise. That is the assurance. That is the guarantee of our eternal life. So if Jesus is not resurrected, then, then we are not promised to be resurrected. But since Sunday, the, day, the Lord's Day is the day we celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what should be the tone of Sunday? Reverence? Worshipful? Huh? Celebration. We shouldn't be somber, okay? So there is a difference between being serious and reverent and worshipful and being somber. It's not a sad day. It is not a sad day, but it's also not a day about people. It's a day about Jesus. It's a day about the Lord. So if you have, and this is an example that we can get from the Bible, if you have a beef with your brother or sister in Christ, is Sunday the day to settle that? No, you're going to need to probably settle that on Saturday to where worship can happen the way it needs to happen on Sunday. I know Jesus said it more eloquently, but we get the meaning, right? It's not the day to bring up arguments. It's not the day to make it about ourselves. It's not the day to single out. It's not the day to have a whole bunch of other things that we're focused on. It is a day to celebrate Jesus. And he is worthy of 52 Sundays of celebration. He is worthy of a whole lot more. They never stop celebrating him in the throne room of heaven, and so he is worthy of 52 Sundays. Does that mean that we can't have anything else going on on Sunday? Not necessarily, but we need to make sure he's the center of it, whatever it is. If we're remembering the fact that we live in a free country, we need to remember the fact that Jesus gave us our ultimate freedom. That makes sense? If we're remembering the fact that, that, that this is related to Thanksgiving, if we're thinking about Thanksgiving service, then we need to remember that the ultimate thing we have to give thanks for is Jesus and his resurrection. So whatever, whatever we are doing on a particular Sunday, Jesus needs to be the center of it, and celebrating his resurrection needs to be the center of that. And so you might say, well, if we keep doing the same things, then aren't we going to get tired of it? We're not supposed to. If no, 
that this is your future, if this is your eternity, then we won't get tired of celebrating Jesus. So think about it another way. We don't, we don't consider children to be carrying on our line, not the way that people did back then. Now we know that, okay, so a child means that our family is going to go on. But back in the days of Israel, um, the ancient world in general, this wasn't specifically an Israelite sort of thing, but a, a child meant that your line would go on. Your family's possessions could be inherited and passed on from one, one generation to the next. It was a thing to celebrate. Do you think people back then got tired of remembering, hey, this is the child, this is the child that's going to carry on my family line? They would remember it always, right? If you really believe that Jesus is your reason for eternal life, that Jesus is the reason that you've been saved, you won't get tired of remembering the same truths every week. Can we present it a little differently? Sure, we can be creative, but it, it, it's going to be the same central message. Jesus is risen from the dead. Let us celebrate. That's going to be the central message the, the, the main thing that, that makes us, causes us to worship, is Jesus' resurrection. That's what we're commemorating. That's what we're thinking about. Okay, so it commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion. Okay, so what is worship? I think it's worthy to ask that question. What is worship? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Because what is it? Oh, that's, a, that's actually a very good definition. Okay. Giving God, say it again, giving God all that he is with all that I am. Okay, that's wonderful because that encompasses a lot of things that we do. Can that mean singing? Yes, it can definitely mean singing. It can include singing. It can include music. It can, it can include that. But it can include other things, right? Um, it could include the offering, right? It could definitely include observance of the Lord's Supper. It could, it could include uh, baptism when, when that's what we're doing. That can include a number of things. Um, it wasn't recorded for various reasons, but in this Sunday sermon... I said that you could make a very biblical case for worship being killing, cooking, and eating animals. That was part of the Israelite worship. They would slaughter animals. They would, they called them burnt offerings, but they were cooking them. And then there, there were people that were able to eat that. And all of that was part of worship. Okay? So because it was a sacrifice to the Lord. So, Worship is more than just singing. Worship is more than just preaching. And worship is not confined to one hour on Sunday. It's not in a box. Okay? And, and, and there's a comment that we're going to get to at the end of this that, that helps us to further kind of, I guess, I guess, unfold what worship is. Worship is any way that we are being fully obedient to God. That, that's going to be worship. And so that's kind of another way of saying what, what you just said. So if, if I know someone in my life, somewhere in my circle, 
is in desperate need. And what they need is not something that I personally want to do, but I feel God calling me to meet that need in some way, and so I commit that action to the Lord and go meet that need. In, in my service to the Lord, I'm meeting that need. Would you consider that worship? That would be worship. And so that might be something that would never happen on a Sunday. But if it happens, it is worship. Okay? But that's, again, that, that, that has to do with some of the things that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount and really throughout his ministry. It's going to de depend on the heart. It's going to depend on the heart. If there's someone in need, and I know that Christians are supposed to help people in need, so even though I don't want to do it, I go help them, that's not worship, is it? That's just me conforming to traditions. That's not me doing what I feel the Lord's calling me to do. And so there is a difference there. But we have to recognize that difference, and we have to realize that worship is a much larger word with a much larger meaning than sometimes it, it, it can be. So we can call music worship, and it, and it absolutely can be. But, but worship is not a genre, okay? It's not just one type of music. It can be music. It can be preaching. It can be offerings. It can be um, ordinances. It can be acts of service. It can be acts of love. It can be pretty much anything that we're doing where we are obeying and serving God with our whole heart. So it can be all those things. Now, the other thing that he says, or, or the other thing that this said, this article says is spiritual devotion. Okay, so what is that? Anybody want to define that? So spiritual devotion is where we commit. It's where we make a choice to follow. Okay, so any real good worship service, not only is it going to celebrate God, but it's going to call the worshiper to action. It's going to call the worshiper to do something, right? Because it's not just about a party, which is one way you might could define some worship service. It's not just about, hey, it's a party, and then we go out into the world and we do our own thing. But a good worship service is going to lead you or encourage you or challenge you then to go out and to serve. And so you're going to have to make a commitment. You're going to have to devote yourself to something. And, it's, and it can't just be an intellectual decision. Intellectual decisions are good for some things, but it's not good for God things. A spiritual devotion is what we need to do to get us moving, to get us rocking along in the right direction. It is going to have to be a spiritual choice, a spiritual devotion. So both public and private. Um, I want to peek over here. Uh, I saw it. Okay, no right or wrong answers, but look at page 106. <clears throat> I don't truly believe there are right or wrong answers. They say the four. But let's look at page 106, and it says, check the four main elements of corporate worship, the worship that you can do together. So let's look at that. Songs and hymns, can that be corporate? Okay. Ministry to the sick. I would think that would be more of a personal thing. Prayer. 
It can be both, right? Corporate and private. Evangelistic visitation. That'd probably be more private. I mean, you might go in a group, but it's not the whole church, right? So scripture reading. I think it can be. Preaching. Mm -hmm. Drama. It depends. So what would that give us? One, two, three, four, five. That would give us five if we include drama. I don't have a problem at all with drama because sometimes that's what gets the point across. Isn't that what The Chosen is when we watch The Chosen videos? Isn't that a drama? And isn't it getting the point across in a, in a visual way? Something we've read hundreds of times over, but we gets it across in a visual way. So it depends on how it's done, obviously, but I think that it can be. So obviously, according to uh, the, the book here, there's four, but I, I don't have a problem with five of them. All right, so it says check the three main elements of private devotion. Scripture reading? Mm-hmm. Preaching? I do preach sermons to my windshield. So, probably not, though. Acts of Christian service. Yeah, that would be private. Songs and hymns. Can be. There are people that definitely do that in their private uh, devotion. And then prayer? Yes. And so here again, they said three. I'm looking at four that I definitely would think would be part of it. Um, so, not everybody can sing. And not everybody should... <laughs> It's not where I was going. <laughs> not everybody gives and receives from the Lord through music. I, I will definitely allow that. There are some people that are not moved by music, and there, there are some people that are just not in a way the where they want to create music. There, there's some really interesting dialogue um, there's this big blue book I have called Baptist Heritage. And a lot of times it just has things when it's talking about things like worship. It, it says some of the things that early Baptist leaders would have said. Um, and, and whether you know it or not, in some of the early Baptist churches, men didn't sing. And I remember one quote from a particular pastor that said, men's voices are not easily tunable. Uh, and, and so they had ladies' choirs. They didn't have the men singing because they had heard men sing, and they didn't like that. That didn't put them in a mood to worship. And so um, not everybody is going to do that. But, but I think that if you are a musical person, then that could absolutely be a part of your personal spiritual life as well. And, and, and I'll tell you, it's not every time, but, you know, you get songs stuck in your head, and I get hymns stuck in my head sometimes. And sometimes they have nothing to do with anything that happens that day. It's just, it's the song that's playing in my head. And every now and then, somewhere about, you know, half or two-thirds way through the day, I stop and I realize that the song that, that was stuck in my head is actually a song that can minister to my heart during whatever situation I'm going through on that particular day. So I do believe that it can help in, 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 in a lot of ways. And so I would definitely include it, um, but it would be on a case-by-case -case basis. So it says, um, both public and private. So activities on the Lord Day should be commensurate with the Christian conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? So in submission with the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
the Baptist wisely chose not to make a list of things that you can do on Sunday and a, and a list of things that you can't do on Sunday, right? Um, so, is it permissible to cut your grass on Sunday if you went to all the church services available to you? It's according to your conscience and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Is it, is it? Absolutely they can, especially if they can sing while they're cutting grass, right? Um... Is it permissible to go fishing if you've went to all the services you're, that are available to you on Sunday? I mean, I guess it just depends on what the Lord does in your conscience. Um, and and that's, that's, that's the really, really important thing, um, is that we take those two together and we consider those. What is your conscience saying? Now, I would not trust only my conscience on something, because... I can have conversations with my conscience and get it to go along with things that maybe the lordship of Jesus Christ wouldn't. But when you have those two things together, your conscience, which God is working on, and the lordship of Jesus Christ together, then it's not, you're not going to have a conflict. You're going to find what you can do. So let me ask you this question. Um, things that might be right for me or wrong for me, are they going to be right or wrong for everybody? Not, no. And, and, and that's something that's really, really important that we recognize that there are things that some people might do, some people might not do. Um, so then it gets into things. You, you take, um, there are jobs, for example, that cause you to work every other weekend. M my mother has a job. She's a nurse. And so they do a, a three-on-two-off, and so it rotates, and she works every other weekend. Um, does that mean that she's a sinner because she works every other weekend? It's, it's part of what you have to do, right? And if, if, if she were in that position um, and, and she felt, you know, pressure from the Lord to change somehow, then she would have to look for something else. But so long as her conscience is not bothering her, she doesn't feel the Lord, you know, leading her out of that, then, then that would be something. I believe for me in my life, it would be sinful for me to take a job that made me work every Sunday or every other Sunday because I have a calling, and that calling is fulfilled, you know, to, to some degree on Sunday mornings. And so, but that would be different for me than it would be for someone else. And so we have to recognize that. Remember when we talked about, when we were going through Romans about strong and weak, and, 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 and the difference between a conviction and a commandment? All of that comes into play when we start talking about what are we going to do on a Sunday. Um, by Jewish standards, uh, me and my family would be really in violation of the Sabbath every, every Sunday. Uh, we drive a, a ways to church, and, you know, there was a limit to how far you could travel. There was a limit to how much you could do. Um, there was just a whole lot of things that would get you in, in, in trouble on the Sabbath. Baptists chose not to make a bunch of laws and rules about what you can and cannot do on, uh, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. So we, we made some of those, those choices. All right, I feel like there was something that I said I would come back to about conscience. Okay, yeah. All right, so if you do what you feel you're supposed to do, what your church offers on a Sunday, and the Saturday thing still bothers you, the fact that the Saturday is the Sabbath, it is the command then that's going to be something that you have to deal with personally with God, 
Okay, that's going to have to be your remembrance between you and God that you decide how you're going to handle that. Um, we, are, the church, is certainly not going to say, well, you've got to be here on Sunday and you've got to not do anything at all on Saturday. We're not going to say that because the, the practice, the tradition of the early church when the apostles were still there, the people that walked with Jesus for three years, they worshipped on Sunday. And then they were serving or working or doing whatever they were doing the rest of the week. Now, the Jewish apostles probably did maintain the Sabbath in, in their own personal lives. But we don't have any command in the New Testament that tells us church on Sunday, worship on Sunday, however they would have phrased it, and, and remember to keep the Sabbath. We don't have that in the New Testament. And so, yes, it is a Ten Commandment, and obviously um, that, that feels like a really, really big deal because we've labeled it that way, and we've got plaques that say Ten Commandments, but it is a scripture in the Old Testament that we have a little bit more clarity on in the New Testament, or at least a different direction, different thing that we're doing in the New Testament. And so we have to recognize that, and so we have to basically balance that with our own conscience, with our own lives, how we feel about that, and what we believe that the Lord is leading us to do. Okay, I um, felt like there was one other thing that I want... Okay, so let me explain why some of the verbiage is in here. Um, what we have to realize is that although Baptists... Some Baptists would not call themselves Protestant. Um, we would be second-generation Protestant. I've already explained this in this course, right? Okay. So there was the Protestant Reformation, and then after the Protestant Reformation, you had Lutheranism, you had, they weren't Presbyterian yet, but they, they were going to become the followers of, of, of John Calvin. You had the English, the, Anglic, well, the, the, the English Church, the Church of England, you had that whole deal. Uh, and then there were people who felt like none of that went far enough. And so those folks wanted to do more. And, and of those groups, there was a group called Anabaptists. They were people that wanted to baptize people. They had been baptized as infants, but not as believers. They had not been baptized. And so the Anabaptists is really where Baptists find their roots. So now I've done it again in case. Um, so you have to realize that some of our doctrines, some of the things that we say, we're almost specifically correcting things, even though we're not Protestant and it's not really our job to correct the Catholic Church anymore, we're almost specifically correcting things that did happen in the Catholic Church. Okay, and so the way that the Catholic Church did worship was very prescribed. Everything that they did was set. They had calendars, they had things that they did every week, and a lot of it was on Saturday, actually, um, but they had things that they did every week. There was <coughs> virtually no freedom of expression. Um, even most of the sermons were pretty much prescribed. And so... Some of what is written in the Baptist faith and message, even though we are far removed from the Protestant Reformation and dealing with the Catholic Church in any real way, some of these things are there to kind of help move away from, from that rigid liturgical way. Um, you know, some churches that are Protestant churches that are active in America today still have a lot more um, kind of prescribed or structured way liturgy than, than we do. Um, and, and, and there's, I'm not saying anything against those things, but the Baptist faith and message, our doctrinal statement, does not make those prescriptions for us. It gives us the freedom to understand that we're going to worship in a way that is, that is biblical 
Um, we're going to worship in a way that submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our conscience. We're going to worship in a way that commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and looks forward to our own resurrection one day. So that's how we're going to worship. There's a lot of room within that to do what, to do things that are, that are, that are going to be, in some cases, creative, because let's face it, that's necessary, but also to do things that might be different at different times for different purposes. And so it gives us the freedom to worship the way um, that best suits a, a, a group or a community or something like that. Um, do you think we're different than city folk? We're a small country church, so yes, we're absolutely different than city folk. And so that means that things that might we connect to people that live in a city, that live in an urban environment, uh, they may not necessarily connect to us that live in the country, and, and, and vice versa. Things that connect to us may not necessarily connect to people that live in a city. And so we have the freedom to still be Baptist, but yet worship and express our worship in different ways. Right, so let's say, for example, um, and I'm not really making this up, let's say, for example, that a few people in this church grow a big garden, and they feel that it is a, a ministry and it's a joy to them to give some of the produce of that garden away at church. Would that be worship for that person? It could very well be worship for that person. It may not be, it depends on their heart, but it could very well be worship for that person. That's maybe not a city thing, but it might be a country thing, right? And so we have to recognize that there are lots of ways, and the Baptist faith and message is wide open enough in what happens on Sunday, what happens on the Lord Day, that worship can be a lot of different things. But we need to remember that it is prescribed to be both public and private. So that seems to mean that not only are we to worship during that hour or whatever time is, is carved out for church, but we also need to be worshiping God that whole day. We do need to be remembering Him. We do need to be celebrating Him. And I believe that it can carry on throughout the week. But that's a day that's set aside for it. So we do need to make sure that we carve out time. Um, I think that it's... Well, let me, let me back that up. The Sundays that I feel that I worship the most truly and, and the most spontaneously and certainly the worship that ministers to my heart the most are the days that I'm most prepared beforehand. The days that, that I'm not worried about what else is going on in the world. The days that, 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 that I have had some time to sit and be quiet and be alone with the Lord. Those days before I get to church, those are the days where worship seems to really, really hit my heart. And so it's not the song choices. It's, for me, it's not even the, the, the sermon topic, even though I'm the one delivering the sermon. It's not the Sunday school lesson. It is what has already begun in my heart before I reach the church. And so what that means, that the, the, the pressure is not on a pastor or a song leader or a Sunday school teacher or a children's minister, youth minister. The pressure is not on those people to produce worship. Really, the responsibility is on each individual Christian coming to church ready to serve and to worship. Ready to, to be where God wants them to be, to listen to what God has to say and respond to it in a positive manner. That's really what worship is. And, and, and that's how we grow and how we move forward is be ready when we get here. There are days, and, and look, I want to be totally real with you, there are days 
that that's all we do is get here. That the enemy has put up a fight, and it's been a struggle from the moment we woke up, that the struggle may have happened the day before, that it's a fight just to be in the house of the Lord. And on those days, I believe that God has a blessing prepared for us when we get there. And then there are days where we can be ready. And on those days, that's when God works in our hearts because we are ready to hear from him, because we have set aside everything else. And so on both kinds of days and everything in between, it's worth it to be here, but we have to recognize that when we can, we've got to put forth the effort to be ready. And on those days where it's just a fight and it's a struggle, it is still worth it to make it. It is still worth it to go through that struggle and, and to show Satan that he doesn't have control or any command in your life at all. So what questions do you have about the Lord's Day or comments? So I'll point out something that I've already pointed out, um, but it was early, and so I just kind of want to, to, to remind of that. It is important to be together. It is important. We grow together. Um, the things that God is doing in my life and your life, some of that may be personal and private, but the, the victories, the, the battles that we fight, the lessons that he teaches us, we can share those with each other. We can share how we overcome. We can share how we learn to depend on him. We can share those stories because isn't that at least some of the content of the Bible is someone that was following the Lord sharing their story of, of, of the, their victories and their failures and everything, and doesn't it bless our heart when we read those things and learn from those things? God is still working. We may not be living out a Bible book, but God is still working, and we can share that with each other, and we can lift each other up, we can encourage each other. And, and like I say, sometimes you just barely get here. The enemy is against you, and then you come and you see a smiling face, you see somebody that loves you, that you know cares about you, and, and they're the ones that are ready that morning, and they, they're the blessing to you. And so then some other day, you're the one that's ready, they're the one that barely got there, and you're the blessing to them. And that's, that's part of what church really is. It isn't about the building, although we're glad that we have a building and a place that we can come and worship and wonderful facilities, but the main thing is we come together and we worship the Lord. That's what's really important. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. And I do thank you for your word that, that helps us to understand how we are to worship you. As we look through the Old Testament, the New Testament, we know without question that we are supposed to worship you. And if we were left without any guidance, who knows what we would be doing right now. But you have helped us to understand how we should worship you. You've given us your word, uh, which, which teaches us, which helps us to understand you. It gives us something that we can always go to and know that it is true. But we also have so many other blessings. Uh, musical talent. We have um, other teachers. We have other things that we can do to worship you as well. Father, I, I know that we will never run short of reasons to give you praise. And I pray that you help us, even tonight on a Wednesday night when it's not really the Lord's Day, I pray that you help us to go out of this place worshiping you, to, to finish out our week worshiping you, and to be prepared for Sunday when we come to renew everything and celebrate once again the resurrection of Jesus and and. and what it means for him, but also what it means for us in the future. 
So let us be ready to have that celebration come Sunday morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.